Welcome to the Real Wolf Record Club. I am your host, Joe. With me is, I guess it's not even a panel tonight. It's just Ben with me from the Real Wolf Record Club panel. And you know, I guess, I guess I've got a question. Um, ben, have you ever been so irritated with someone? Maybe someone close to you, like someone in your family that they just push your buttons so much. They they drive you so crazy that you end up writing an iconic Britpop album featuring some of the greatest pop songs of a generation. Has that ever happened have, to you? I have several of them stashed in my archive. <laughs> it's sort of like you got Prince's Vault. You've got all those albums written because your lovely sisters have driven you to insanity. Um, and no, no, this is not my secret reveal of my Britpop cover band, Joasis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or Hannah, who's not here tonight, her super group, the Spice Curls. That's a curly hair joke. Uh, we are talking today about a great 90s record that actually exists from a band that actually exists. It's full of anthems, sing-alongs. Of course, it's what the, What's the Story? Morning Glory by Oasis, a band featuring the Gallagher brothers whose on-again, off-again tolerance of one another has led to some of the greatest Brit pop songs of the 90s. The album was a smash commercial success, going four times platinum in the U.S. and 16 times platinum in the U.K., spending over 500 weeks on the U.K. albums chart and is this third, listen to this, the third best-selling studio album in U.K. history. Damn. damn and you might have heard the damn the voice from the 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 void talking to us and that is of course our guest today he is a stand-up comedian comedy writer with his doctorate in neuroscience who has been featured as one of comedy central's comedians to watch he has written for comedy for fox amazon and comedy central and recently released his second comedy album midnight oil on all comedy album outlets i i'm Comedy album outlets. What does that mean? Sam Goody? Borders? (laughs) Circus City? Why did I say it that way? Uh, He released his second comedy album. You can get it wherever you want. His name is Jono Zole. He's a very funny comedian. Welcome to the Real Wolf Record Club, Jono. Oh, thank you for having me. It's an honor. (laughs) I got to ask. I got to ask. I'm talking about your album, your newest album, uh, Midnight Oil. Mm -hmm. and, And then your 2015 album, which is Dr. John Ozelay's snake oil for humorous release. Um, why losing the doctor? Oh, well, I mean, like the official title, I don't even think even includes the doctor. It's just the album artwork to make it mm. look more like a snake oil bottle is the theme of the snake oil album. <laughs> and so it's just all these claims about it that I'm a doctor, even though like I am technically a doctor with my <laughs> PhD uh, but not a real doctor as in I can't help anyone. So I'm not doing any good other than releasing albums. But I mean, I would say that the doctor, the fact that you actually are a doctor is sort of an important detail um, because without which it sounds like after, after having listened to your albums, you're just a guy who gave cocaine to rats. So the doctor <laughs> thing is kind of important. <laughs> True. Cocaine, as many of you know, is medicine and I do not administer it. Uh, how, tell me about that. You had to be, I mean, you're obviously a very funny guy. You had to be sort of a fish out of water, um, you know, to get into neuroscience and, and then leave to pursue comedy. I mean, have you, has any, have any of us ever met a funny doctor? Like you meet one who's fun and you're like, 
Uh, give me a little bit of the creeps. Like you had the how- <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't want to meet one in a like medical setting. I'd rather see an unfunny doctor at a comedy show. And I have many times. Uh, <laughs> what does that mean? Just like, you know, like there, there's like, you know, there was a doctor. I went started comedy in New England while I was getting my doctorate. And there would be like the occasional novelty act who would like really lean into their profession. <laughs> where it's, and they'd, they'd like wear a lab coat on stage and make Ooh. doctor jokes and like, had a weird, the lab coat would have their embroidered like logo on it and stuff, real, real merch heavy. Ooh. So yeah, like I, I would much rather see sit through that than like have my actual physician cracking jokes as he's like prodding. <laughs> whatever. What's the layout of your house like? Yeah, is this gonna hurt just a little bit? How old are your children? <laughs> cracking jokes, smiling, making everyone uncomfortable. Um, but. You know, you 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 talk a little bit about that, obviously, in some of your your <laughs> some of your material. But how how did you know at some point that hey, I'm doing neuroscience, I'm doing, I'm going for this very advanced degree, but I also think I want to do comedy. How did that come about? So I, they kind of came about simultaneously. I apply like I had just started doing a few open mics in San Diego, where I'm from, uh, after college, and then when I was you know figuring out what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. I was like, well, comedy's, you know, fun, but I have no idea if it's like a viable career or not. I'm just like, mm-hmm. you know, getting two, two or three minutes every other week. But I felt like it was worth it. I liked it enough to like pursue it as at least a hobby. So I applied for graduate schools in like neuroscience, which is what I was like <clears throat> interested in out of college. I was like, I like neuroscience. I'll pursue a PhD, which pays for you for one. So I didn't mm-hmm. have to like go hundreds of thousand dollars into debt like a actual doctor would have to right um and so i could pursue a advanced degree for no cost and also do it in a city where i could do stand-up so that's where i moved to boston hmm. so it's kind of a double whammy so dual track and then i was just doing stand-up the whole time i was doing you know doling out lines of coke for rats in the lab <laughs> and, then, and then but one, funny as it was was uh you know not enough to keep going with so i went to the other funny one getting into comedy from everything i hear and watch and see and consume as far as a fan of comedy it's that i mean we've had guests come on and talk about yeah i would you know do sets at 11 o'clock at night and then depending on the city you're in i mean you're you're going to school by day and then you're just going and doing sets at night i mean when did you sleep Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I didn't, I, I like, and I, on top of that, I was for a couple years, at least an RA in the dorms at Boston university. Mm-hmm. So I had like, you know, three jobs and like absolutely no sleep, but I was still like the most productive I've ever been. I feel like the more jobs I have, the more I have to schedule my life. Cause I'm just too ADHD without it. And without that mm-hmm. structure, I just kind of like do nothing. <laughs> I'm, you know, and obviously this is an audio only podcast and I'm going to, just going to flag this. I'm going to need a few minutes to unpack. You don't give me RA vibes. Oh no. I'm not getting Part of that, part of my like uh, being able to get stuff done was that I didn't do anything for the (laughs) RA. There's like, I was notoriously lax. I was like, I guess you were the cool one RA other than like, (laughs) I would have had to be been there to be the cool RA. Like I was getting home, like any partying the kids in the dorm were doing, they were doing it before I got home from the bars and the comedy shows. 
so the kids like are I, sneaking sixers in and you're standing outside yeah. smoking outside the door give me one of those <laughs> get in there <laughs> stay out of trouble <laughs> yeah there was a time where like i was actually on my way to a show and like the one thing i also told the, like, the students which i recommend every other day is like whatever you do keep your door closed i'm not going to come in Mm-hmm. Um, but they had their door open and they had like a 16 pack or, or 18 pack of, uh, like Bud Lights or something. And, and like, I was on my, I did not have time to stop and like bust them and write them up or whatever. Um, so I just, I like said, like, after my show, I'm going right now, but after my show, I'm going to write you up for something, not this, cause I don't want to have to be a huge paper trail. <laughs> but I'm going to say, I, found, I caught you with like a Nerf gun or something, give you a slap on the wrist. <laughs> Nerf guns are illegal at BU. Oh yeah, they call it Hall Sports. You can you couldn't use oh. any kind of thing that would you know throw that you know any kind of projectiles. I guess wow. down the hallway they cause damage. Speaking as someone who flooded the bottom floor of a Super Eight throwing a racquetball, I can I can understand that. <laughs> oh man, yeah. Wow, you flooded the bottom floor. Well, those sprinklers. Yeah. yeah, like the like the the fire sprinklers they're pretty vulnerable to uh i'm more of a uh, of the of the 18 year old kids i'm more of a motel six men's shelter kind of guy so i guess we're not used to like the open water pipes right above head so um ah wow okay well yeah we'll have to unpack that i don't know that john ozelay is i first thing i think of first person i think of when i think of residence hall advisor i i don't know i i asked that you know the 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 split between you know, education and academia and neuroscience and all those things that you were pursuing and comedy, because I think, I think at least on its face, there's a lot of people that like comedy and comedy writing and think it's purely artistic and intuitive and, and maybe not as technical or mechanistic as something like neuroscience. And certainly there's, there's that it part of comedy, but it just strikes me that there's something that is kind of pulled from both fields there for you you know as you're writing there is a technical part there is a quality part of writing it's not just ah i got a joke i gotta write it down i mean is that fair oh yeah totally i mean and like there is a um sort of scientific method of comedy as it exists without people even realizing it like everyone's kind of a b testing their jokes at like open mics and stuff like that Mm -hmm. so you are collecting data even if you're not aware of it you're just like intrinsically like, ah, this joke works better when I say it with this punchline instead of the other one or the timing. Mm-hmm. So like if there is like a methodological way of approaching it. And also like the way that I look at like the world it comes from a place of like having it be more informed by a scientific background rather than just like mm-hmm. dumb wonderment. I'm like, oh, I know exactly how this works. Let me <laughs> um, comment on it, I guess. Right. Is that, is that where most of your stuff gets worked out? Or I, I mean, comedians in general, is it at open mics? Is it different now that there's been a change in how we do comedy, both, you know, going online and doing specials versus having these big broad tours and arena shows or theater yeah. shows, I guess. I mean, the, a little bit of that, like there's, it's kind of everything. Like I don't have as much time as I used to, to go to open mics, even when I was, you know, it's going straight from the, the lab cocaine still on my shoes dragging it in <laughs> you wouldn't be the only one in the club like that <laughs> there's a few places in new england where i had the least amount of cocaine drizzled all over me um but yeah the um like it's just open mics or like they do zoom shows i don't do them as much anymore now the pandemic's mostly over knock on wood and then there's like social media tiktok like 
people are constantly throwing stuff up there and trying it out. And like Twitter's interesting. Like I would never know, like every viral tweet I've ever had has been like, like not never planned it just like ah here's a thing that i did thought of mm-hmm. and then it would go nuts and i was like oh maybe there's something there that i should like look into and it might become a joke later on and sometimes it doesn't translate at all it's all a little bit like you have to it's like that empirical thing like you have to try it out to see if it works before you can just assume it's good like i definitely can't just write something down at home and be like this is gonna work I, right. have to, I have to try it out. Otherwise it, it just it is completely a mess. But that sounds like the, the um, mediums with which you might try out a joke is not just mm-hmm. open mic. It's not just writing at home. It might be social media. It might be a mm-hmm. conversation or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've definitely like had conversations with other comics or, or even my wife and just like, like, Oh, there's something there where like the people are interested in this topic or this turn of phrase or, Mm-hmm. Yeah, hot take. What do you do? Because I hate to, I, I I hate to age myself here. I'm not that old, but when I say things like I'm about to say, um, what do you do with a viral tweet? Because my urge would be to print it out. <laughs> get it framed. Like, what do you actually do with it? Is there any way to memorialize? Like, hey, this Man. thing I wrote got nine trillion somethings. No, there's the only thing you can do is watch it slowly get stolen by all the content <laughs> aggregators and rip your name off of it. And like all the attribution just goes away and it becomes like a fuck Jerry meme and like every other. Yeah, it's just some it'll get appropriated by someone. Someone will repeat it word for word mm-hmm. without even like retweeting or, or screen capping it or anything like that. So all mm-hmm. you can just do is, is watch it go out into the world and just get absolutely brutalized and re- repurposed. Oh, Ugh. not unlike raising children. Oh, para, parental joke there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what What is your, I mean, you know, the nuts and bolts of, of comedy writing, whether it be doing stand-up or writing for, uh, you know, any number of productions, what's your process like? How often, I mean, how often do you write? For stand-up, I rarely just sit down and write. I, mm-hmm. I think like something will occur to me like in conversation, like I said, or like a tweet or something, and I'll write it down in my phone. Like I'll have a uh, Google doc of just a premise Mm-hmm. And then I'll take it to an open mic or a stand-up show and work it in or like something will occur to me on stage and I'll write like that. But it's mostly just like a nugget of information that I just chisel away at live. TV is different because obviously like you're on the clock, you're in a writer's room, you're like having to churn out a material. And usually like the, the cool thing about that is there's a prompt. Mm-hmm. A, lot, a lot of times it's just like, we need a sketch about X, you know, you know, start researching X. So you start like digging into the, source material and and like you start to like i start to internalize it where like i'm making these comparisons in my head to understand it myself and then i use that to like build a like world in like a sketch thing it's Mm -hmm. a cognitive mechanism where you can understand things through a metaphor i think it's called like constructivism like you understand the world through a, a, a already workable frame like you know when you say someone's the michael jordan of something that people understand what that means mm-hmm. so like the same way that you can explain a sketch can be like you know go off of that same level of comparison for whatever the topic is do you prefer one form of writing over the other i mean if you had to pick do you like writing for your own work or do you like the what i imagine is a very uh I'll, collegial room of writing <laughs> i will i will say this um i 
like writing for myself, but I like getting paid for writing <laughs> for others. Because what I get paid for writing for myself is drink tickets. Yes. <laughs> those, those it's a little rare. different. <laughs> yeah. So I, I definitely like, and it's the writing part, like the creating it part itself that is the joy for me. It's not necessarily the performance. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, the performance is great too. Like I love doing stand-up. It's my first love for sure. But like the part I like about stand-up is that I get to create and share ideas. Mm-hmm. It's not the like, you know, acting. I'm very low energy, stand there and tell jokes kind of comic. So mm-hmm. the writing part of it is my favorite part regardless. What do you do with the jokes that don't, I mean, well, I don't want to say don't work because you won't know. It sounds like you won't know that they don't work. You're for right a while, to say that all my jokes work. I've never encountered one that <laughs> didn't. I'm uh, batting a thousand, but you know. Batting a thousand. There you go. But well, you find out, you write something, you you tweak it, you talk it through, you work it out a little bit, and then you say, I'm going to give it a go. And then you find it doesn't work. What do you, I mean, does it morph? So, does it change? Does it die? Sort of. Like I will occasionally write a line or a, or a, have a premise that like will not work on its own. And then it's just in my Google Doc. I don't delete anything out of there. I just like put a timestamp on it and move on. And then like years down the line, sometimes I was like, oh, you know, it would work well as a tag to this other joke is this one line that didn't work by itself uh, years ago. So like occasionally it can be re-scrapped, you know, for parts and and like repurposed. And, and there's premises from when I was a much younger comic that I did not know how to write a joke for. And now I do. And like, so I go back and like, oh yeah, I remember that joke. Oh, here's how that was so bad when I originally did it. Let me do it like a professional would now. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting to see. I mean, it just sounds like such a trial and error process that do you tell a, uh, do you tell a club or an audience that I am a neuroscientist as I've covered in some of my material and I've been experimenting on you the whole time. I mean, is there a time where that comes out and works its way through your, your material that, yeah, that was a, that was a bullshit joke. I should have thrown that one out. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely will be forthright about like my, the way I'm viewing them in the world and in that way, mm-hmm. but I'm not like rubbing it in their face unless that's part of the joke, I guess. <laughs> Like you were my control group. You guys get the bad jokes. This is the placebo version of right. I actually wrote that down. Placebo. I looked that up. I, huh? I I prepped for this interview. What is what is one of the favorite places that you've played? I'm so I'm always so fascinated as somebody who's traveled to see comedy, traveled to see music. Um, I'm just fascinated by you know. There's great rooms, great arenas, great festivals. What's a great place that you've gotten to play as a comic? I was just in Denver this last week and Denver is probably the outside of New York and LA, the best, like my favorite place to go to do comedy, just because there are so many good shows. There's not necessarily like, and they have like one of the best clubs in the country in uh, comedy works. And on top of that, they have like a bunch of other really great shows at like breweries and small theaters and bars and such. And that's also near where I recorded my second album uh midnight oil was at uh the comedy fort in fort collins which is a really good comedy city like sure. an hour outside so like colorado definitely a top place for me and the other one is actually where i recorded my first album which is comedy on state in madison wisconsin kind of near you guys mm-hmm. um which is another one of the best clubs in the country and it's just so well curated i'm not i'm surprised more clubs don't like just steal all of the way the ways they make those clubs better Hmm. Like what makes a good you, club though i mean there's so many factors that like i you know you wouldn't realize as you're looking into it but like just generally speaking 
comedy packed, like the audience is packed in as tight as you can with a low ceiling mm-hmm. um, and not too, like the shape of it can be a little different. Cause like, you know, the comedy cellar in New York is kind of more like a wide rectangle whereas some of the, like the comedy on States kind of from a, a corner, like you're batting at home plate and you're looking sure. at it. So like they can be different setups, but like they all have certain things in common where the lighting and the sound is very good, where the lights are very low in the house and very bright on stage. So like it allows the audience to feel like they're watching it while in a group, not like in in front of like their friends and stuff. They feel free to laugh in an anonymity. Oh my God. Nailed it. You got it. Yeah. <laughs> so like they, they feel like they can laugh and not be judged for whatever it is. If you like tell an edgy joke or something like that. Um, and then the, the club on state and the comedy works, they don't really do food. They just do drinks. Cause mm-hmm. food, like if you're like dipping nachos or whatever, you're paying a little bit less. Super content. conducive to comedy. Yeah. <laughs> Comedy Works doesn't even have tables. They have these little, like, almost like drink holders like you would in a movie theater where you just hold, have mm-hmm. your beer, like, right next to you on, on your uh, your armrests. So it's really <laughs> it's really uh, streamlining the process of, like, drink goes in, laughs come out. <laughs> yes, is, as someone who has spilled drinks at Comedy on State, I am mm-hmm. 100% with you there. It is a, mm-hmm. It is also a great place to see comedy, but the, t- the tables are, like... You know the server tray size you're a yeah. fucking mess today ben jeez <laughs> spilling <laughs> drinks breaking super aids <laughs> we're just getting started brother. here <laughs> he's he's got that beer i don't know if you should let him drink while he's recording he's gonna spill his uh it's gonna be a problem all over the computer <laughs> done that on record he's done <laughs> that too yeah uh we're get, unpacking a lot here for ben uh as we always do um i you know you mentioned breweries and comedy clubs um kind of becoming one i mean breweries are becoming that social space for so many different things is i don't know i'm gonna think out loud here is that the next wave i mean is there a wave of because for so long you described those rooms of comedy clubs there's the law i mean mm-hmm. we have acme here in twin cities and then you can get corporate acme and they're not the same thing at all, but you can go to the Mall of America and there's Rick Bronson's. God bless you, Rick Bronson. But mm. it's the weirdest convention hall room ever. It's not it, a good viewed room. Airplane hangar of a room. Yeah, it's just tough to, to enjoy it. But that's that kind of that that um, dynamic of that long room, you know, you're describing and some they are not all equal. But you go to breweries and they all have that aesthetic. They all got bricks everywhere. They all got good seating. They mostly serve drinks. Um, you can get a bunch of people. I mean, is that a new thing that's coming that we just don't know about yet? I think so. Like they definitely are popping up more places and like with the um, like craft brew revolution that's happening, everyone mm-hmm. needs eight different types of IPAs and yeah, uh, totally. maybe one light beer. Minimum. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, those spaces, they do want to bring people in and like, because they have those big spaces in general, like a comedy show is a, it lends itself well to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that it's a, a good marriage for now. I mean, like sometimes they're like the spaces aren't as good because like, it is mostly built for beer. One would hope. I don't think they necessarily build with comedy in mind, mm-hmm. but like that industrial space can be good. And like the only problem you generally encounter is that sometimes the ceilings are too high. Mm-hmm. Um, but like most of their spaces are pretty good and like they have free flowing beer and that's, that's helpful. 
<laughs> Absolutely. It doesn't, doesn't hurt my comedy unless it's like too. And actually with IPAs, you can't drink them too fast, even though they're very alcoholic. So it's like over the space of a comedy show, you're generally uh, getting a decent buzz, but not like fall down drunk like you do with like a <laughs> vodka tonic on a, on a late Friday night crowd. Enough to laugh and make you a healthy audience <laughs> yeah. as opposed to a drunk one. Um, right. Speaking of mind uh, changing chemicals. We've talked cocaine. We've talked alcohol. You've also mentioned Midnight Oil, mm. your new album, which was recorded in Denver. I think Denver, Fort, you said. Fort Collins. Fort Collins. Fort Collins. There you go. Our, our friend uh, Ward Sutton's from Fort Collins. So um, lots of substances, I'm sure, in that area. But tell me about how, how did Midnight Oil come together? Um, well, it barely did. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> it was like the most cursed album I uh, was supposed to record it initially back in Boston in April, 2020. Oh, great but, time to be alive. as you probably yeah. guessed, I wasn't ready to record it because the, the material wasn't good enough. I wanted to work on it for another year and a half. Uh, really? That's the only fun. thing that happened. Yes, only thing. <laughs> I, I, I held back because it wasn't ready. Everyone right. should think about doing this. It's a really, I recommend it. Yes. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it, like not only did I not get to record my album but i barely made it like back to america in 2020 because i was doing a three-week tour of southeast asia in from mid-february to march 8th 2020 um on my return flight i had to rebook five or six different times uh so so i like almost got like basically <laughs> isolated and quarantined in asia wow but you got back i did i think i was like on the last plane out of bangkok and, and covid and like, spread significantly thereafter yeah. I, I didn't, didn't do another show the last show i did for a year and a half was in, in bangkok thailand wow oh <laughs> so, so like i had like in the, so the material was more or less ready to go at that point but like obviously some a few things happened i wanted to address them so i tried to so i booked another few tours in uh 2021 once things started opening up but then of course like my first tour to work out the newest material was like the week that delta hit and i was in the south so it was like it was my delta blues tour and <laughs> that was brutal there was a time i was i was at a um comedy club in tennessee bristol tennessee it's a great club i like it um the blue ridge comedy club run by sean carter a good friend of mine from boston uh but like the week that i was there was like such a rough covid week that instead of like on the marquee outside of the club instead of like john was away friday and saturday it was like keep fighting joe uh, whatever <laughs> like, we're rooting for you and it was this guy in a coma uh, on a ventilator like comedy next week <laughs> yeah it's just such a brutal time to like i you know i just wanted to be like i wanted america to recover enough where they could promote comedy again instead of like yeah. fundraisers to keep a man alive yeah uh, and it was so, so I'm, I, I'm gathering fundraisers to keep a man alive and nachos are not conducive to comedy mm, that's what i've heard so far yes those are the two <laughs> two main ingredients uh you don't want to do uh, but I mean, you know, a little pause there. I mean, almost getting stuck in Bang Bangkok during a worldwide pandemic. Do you know how much anxiety I have when my flight gets delayed? <laughs> We're supposed to travel later this year to Nashville and we got a notice from Delta. 
Mm. maybe I ran they're like your flight's gonna leave an hour later I'm like oh no it's happening mm-hmm. it's happening and you're like nah I'm just stuck in Southeast Asia <laughs> ground yeah, zero no, it, like I I, re- I arrived in Singapore like three weeks before that like being like it sounds like it's just gonna be a bad flu <laughs> like it'll be just be like a few more people will die from the flu this year uh and then by the time like i was like making my way up the malaysian peninsula i was just like am i going to die here i might am i gonna be as as famous as that one kid who like tagged on stuff and had to get caned in singapore i always think of that when i think of singapore that kid where is he now here's the thing i when i was there singapore is such an interesting place Cause it's basically like, just kind of like this very, the very tip of the Malaysian peninsula. It's a city state essentially. Like mm-hmm. it's kind of like if Manhattan was its own uh, country and, but it's so clean. It is beautiful. It's like a, it's like the utopian city of the future. You picture when like buildings have these hanging gardens off of them, everything's mm-hmm. so clean, still pretty fun, amazing food. Some of the best, like the, like the street carts are like um, Michelin rated. Like it's one of the coolest places I've ever been. And like when I was walking around all these like beautiful botanical gardens, I was thinking about that kid. And he's like, you know what? If this kid tried to tag on anything here, I would want a cana. I'm on their side. <laughs> I saw how beautiful Singapore was. And I was like, if he littered, yeah. I'd punch him in the face. <laughs> I'd break his legs. I'm not going to walk around here littering on my watch. I love I loved the, 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 the criminal justice, like... <laughs> idea that they have there like in america we're like hey guess what we're gonna give you a criminal record you're not gonna get a job you're not gonna get housing your life's over you're gonna go to prison some states have the death penalty blah 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 singapore's like yeah but have you seen these canes like (laughs) this is gonna hurt (laughs) it is like it is a generally benevolent dictatorship relative (laughs) to other dictatorships but i will say while i was there there were like a couple covid cases that were like under quarantine and they said like make sure you stay in your house you know make sure you obey the rules uh, and a couple of them didn't and they had cameras on their house to and saw that they left their house and those people didn't just get punished they got deported they like just like oh you don't live in this country anymore like that's <laughs> that's how, that was their punishment it's like if you're gonna <laughs> and like if people are getting yeah, nobody left <laughs> yeah and like people were getting mad here at mask mandates in like grocery stores it's like what if you just got thrown out of the country? <laughs> we are going to contain this disease so well. We're going to contain your ass right out of the country. Get out of here. No COVID. Yeah. Um, I, and what is it about like people, Americans in particular? Because you mentioned this. You said food carts. Mm. And it's it's uh, finding food on the street is such an alluring thing for Americans. I don't know what if it's video games or what. Like you, I'm going to find this piece of meat. It's going to be full health. I'm going to be great. But like... I know what you mean. You find food carts, you find street food. They call street tacos and people are nuts for it. I mean, it was that good though in Singapore. Oh yeah. It was incredible. Like every, like the like weirdest food too. Like they have this thing called like chili crab. Um, that's like basically like a Buffalo wing, but it's like a Buffalo crab <laughs> in its <laughs> shell and you just can like have it. And then there's these like soups that are incredible. Like this, like kind of, um, like these rib soups mm. uh, um, and then I, everything. I mean, it's just, and like dump like every, every food you can imagine. Cause it's a big sort of melting pot city state where like it has all of the different countries of Asia represented and the cultures and Indian food is very good there. 
So um, not not a bad place to get to laid over if you had to during a worldwide pandemic. Exactly. Although like by then, like that was where I started, and then like I ended up in Bangkok, where it was um, less <laughs> less a different kind of dictatorship there, less benevolent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so eventually, you got yeah. a chance to come to Denver, or excuse me, Fort Collins, and record Midnight Oil, and that was yes. after a couple of iterations and working in some new material. Why yeah. why Fort Collins? Um, it's a club like. It, it was a club that kind of opened up during the pandemic actually, but I know um, David Rodriguez, who's the guy that um, he's a comic actually, who was running shows in Fort Collins for a long time and um, opened this club. And I had heard great things. And like, it was one of the, it was one of the places I wanted to work in general. And the album label was like, Oh, they are doing albums there. And like, they do sound good. So hmm. it was just a, a person I trusted in a place that I, even though it was a new club, I'd, performed at that room before it was like yeah. a, a jazz club before they did a you know weekly comedy show and now it's like full-time so every, all, everything kind of combined it was like wow these are ideal circumstances and as you know world-renowned as i should be i can't fill a room <laughs> over 150 seats <laughs> for sure uh all great comedy is that way though you know those yeah. small rooms just matter and it's great to support small clubs God, uh, what's fall of 2022 hold for John Ozilay? I've been so busy with this current writing job. I haven't booked too much, but I feel like, I think the ones things I've kind of very, like I, I really relish in seeing a lot of different random smaller places when I can, like oftentimes I'll go to New York and Chicago, of course, but like this, I'm going to Lincoln, Nebraska in mm. at the end of September or October. And then the week after that, I'm, I'm, uh, uh, at least for now, headlining the Roanoke Comedy Festival, um, mm. the second annual, and I in Roanoke, Virginia, which uh, I've never been to, and it sounds like uh, they're trying to lure me there to execute me in a ritual cult <laughs> uh, style. Um, Perfect. But, good. Good. Yeah. yeah just Sacrificing. stay away from the haunted house there. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I'll. Like, I've always been so fascinated by like the Roanoke story. I feel I'm I'm sort of curious why there's not a better like horror movie about it it was like a, a colony of pilgrims that just disappeared and there's only one evidence that they were there it was just carved into a tree that said like croatoan and and like it was just it's this creepiest like old-timey story i've ever heard and there's a great uh there's a great season of american horror story oh that's is, based it, on, did they cover it uh, based on that mm-hmm yeah, well, there you go. There you it's go. called Roanoke. Okay, I'll have to check never it out. Watch it before I go there. So I, don't... <laughs> I think they might have just. I think they just might have left. No offense to our listeners in Roanoke, Virginia, but they were like, "Man, nothing here yet, guys. Come back in twenty years. There'll be a comedy festival with John Ozilay." <laughs> no, I think they're haunting. That's that's like the crowd that's going to be at the thing. They're going to the walls will start shuckling in some weird <laughs> British uh well you'll have to come back because i know you'll come back you'll have to come back and uh tell us all about roanoke virginia and all the great things you're going to be doing i think it's time for our favorite part of the interview uh a little thing we like to do here on the real wolf record club called ched talk That's the appropriate response. Uh, John Ozilay, are you prepared to play Ched Talk here on the Real Wolf Record Club? Ched away. 
Perfect. First time we've gotten that. Um, well, it's, you know, we kind of let in with this in the intro. It's a special edition of Ched Talk. It's called Ched Talk Feud Edition. Ched Talk Feud Edition here on the Real Wolf Record Club. John Ozilay, um, we have talked to you a little bit. We're talking about, um, going to be talking about the great Oasis 90s album, What's the Story? Morning Glory, written by a couple of feuding brothers. What is your favorite feud of all time? Well, it's probably not my favorite. It, like one of the prominent ones is mine with my older brother, which is why I I, I so resonated with Oasis <laughs> when I was 14 years old because I have an older brother who's two years older than me, and we had quite a rivalry growing up uh, to the point where like we used to have like you know Easter egg hunts in the backyard or whatever, and my mom would have to start like dividing up the eggs so and like color coding them so that we wouldn't have to fight over like we wouldn't just punch each other as we went and ran towards the eggs it was more like a timed rate relay race thing yeah. than they get the eggs because otherwise we'd smash into each other um and he like we eventually became close friends after he went to college and everything like that but there was a time as well where like we do sort of one up try to one up each other like i in college I thought it'd be like a real good challenge to like run a marathon, you know, like do the thing where you mm -hmm. just complete it to complete it. You know, they say like, I've done it that one time. Uh, but I, I ended up running two marathons and like, cause usually when someone runs a marathon, they either run, run and one and that's it. Or they want run like 20 and like do it every year or something like that. Mm -hmm. I ran two because my brother, after he saw, I just completed mine, just doing it the bare, bare minimum did one of his own and just demolished my time like, <laughs> um which is like he calls it cheating he cheated by training really hard for it just so he could like and he said his mantra in his head as he was running the marathon knowing he was beating my time was annihilation like he was, <laughs> he was trying to beat me by so much that it would be just basically erase my entire thing i'd have to give it my medal Tear it in my shoes. So I tried to do it one more time to beat his time. I didn't end up doing it because I didn't have time. Okay. I couldn't, I couldn't <laughs> cheat like he did by training really hard. I had things going on. Yeah. <laughs> I did try. And so we did, we did, even though I didn't beat his time, I did improve by like 30 minutes my time. So <laughs> I bettered myself through um, <laughs> very important com competition with my brother. That's your favorite feud. Um, is this the brother? Because if you know, listeners obviously should check out Jono's albums. But I heard two parts that I loved uh, that made me mm. think of this question, which was number one, your your joke about video games and your oh, yeah. brother. <laughs> what yeah, is yeah. it? It's... I was like, I, I'm a younger brother, which means I grew up watching a lot of video games. <laughs> and then Oops. this is all. Is this the brother that also gave the family heirloom during a proposal? Yes. Yes, oh. he did. He. He uh, he got my grandmother's ring, uh, and, and I was like, "Huh, interesting, interesting that he just has he gets the ring. Cool." <laughs> so he proposed I, with yeah, the family heirloom ring, and you are left with I don't know yeah. something else. I'll laugh. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> got it. Um, oh, I I will have to we'll have to have him on the show to verify some of these stories. Um. Question two on Ched Talk, Feud Edition. We couldn't do Feud Edition without reference to one of the great American sitcoms, Family Feud. Family Feud question. A survey of 100 people 
waiting in line to enter Ripley's Believe It or Not in Orlando were asked. People who don't know John Ozelay most often think he is blank. Eastern European. Ooh. Did you get mistaken for an Eastern Bloc uh, citizen? Well, I, I mean, like, just based based on my name alone, I feel like it would be, he's like, well, clearly he's not American. <laughs> Jono is like also an Australian nickname. So I feel like if they knew my name, they'd probably think I was Australian or something. I can still ask like, this. I mean, I guess last is, I mean, what is your, your um, heritage? Both, both my first and last name are Hungarian in some bastardization because Zalay is actually spelled S-Z-A-L-A-Y. Um, but no, like in the first 20 times I tried to do stand-up comedy, no host ever got close to being right. <laughs> The S is silent. And no matter how much you tell them that, it's always Sazal's of the... Sazzle with my favorites. <laughs> it was like there's there was a real butchering of my last name. And then Jono is actually a nickname um because my name's Jonathan, but the John Jono uh, is like kind of a common name mm. in Hungary. And it's is like their their version of George Washington was a guy named Janos Hanyadi or Janos Hanyadi. Mm. So I going by Janos when I was like eleven and then uh, just kind of got shortened to Jono. So the 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 people in the Ripley's Believe It or Not line in Orlando, mm. Florida, mm. know know their world naming origins. Wow, I think that's the number one answer on the Ched Talk family <laughs> Ched Talk Feud Edition answer. Um, question three here on Ched Talk Feud Edition: Who are you in a feud with right now? And if the answer is no one, who would you like to be in a feud with? <laughs> Because I think it starts here, depending on your answer. <laughs> Man, there, there's like a bunch of probably secret feuds that people don't realize I'm in with them. Ooh, do tell. Like, I, there's a few like, like um, I have, I'm yet to act because it's it's so it's so dangerous to get in a feud these don't days. Don't get in a feud now, but it's, totally do. It is like genuinely sometimes life threatening because like a lot of like. <laughs> A lot of my uh, comedy people that I started and came up with in New York and stuff like that took a hard right turn and lost their brain mm. uh, during the pandemic and got brain worms mm. and, and started becoming, you know, Vax truthers and like alt-right stooges. And now they're just being like the... Yeah. Like a, a worse version of not just their political beliefs, but their comedy as well. Where it's like, you're not even funny. And it used to be funny. And now you're mm. not. And that's sad. Yeah. And, and I would like, you know, love to make fun of them and, you know, kind of prod at them. But like, you never know. Because they one thing you do get by being one of 12 comedians who's alt-right or whatever is they have very angry fans. Lots mm -hmm. and lots of angry fans who would love nothing better than to use their incel time to like dox you and like you know steal your mom's social security number and ruin her credit or something <laughs> i got one for you buddy yeah. oh well okay that's fair yeah i can imagine feuding is a little bit different uh in a world with social media and online um and online uh question about all the internets on oh. all the internet uh, uh question number four here on ched talk feud edition Feud, feuder, feudiest. <laughs> These are the people uh, that you 
are feuding with. We've already covered that. People mm-hmm. you want to feud more with and people that you will always feud with. And I'm going to give you three choices. You have to put them in order. Feud, mm-hmm. feuder, feudiest. Disillusioned PhD students with access to pharmaceutical drugs. Mm-hmm. Other comedians mm-hmm. with the LA metro system. Feud, uh, feuder, or feudiest? Feud would be other comedians just because like we're all getting after those spots we have to feud to mm-hmm. bump you know there's a limited capacity on all those lineups you got to get into them mm-hmm. um disillusioned phd students would be feudier because like i feel like i should be going more into the <laughs> you know like i should like science is such a important part of our lives that we take for granted of, of course and the fact that like I am now an example of what we shouldn't be doing, which is taking <laughs> our PhDs and like running away from our field of expertise. Yes. Um, so I should challenge everyone like stay in school in and but use those drugs only if they're prescribed to you. <laughs> right. <laughs> and get back to work making uh, new medicines and things that will cure everyone's brainworms they got from COVID. Um, <laughs> And then feudiest would be the LA Metro system because it should be bigger and better and everyone should be using it. It is not. It's, it's (laughs) brutal. Absolutely brutal. It's like (laughs) the, the buses, it's just a rolling homeless shelter (laughs) and they come at such random times. They get bunched up because they're going down the busiest streets in LA like there's there's so many things that i would do to improve the la metro system i would have it go to the airport i mean i know they're technically building that right now but why have they there's there hasn't been an lax metro system connector <laughs> in the you know 100 years since they like would have conceived of this, this i is- just think it's got to be the egos no one's going to take the bus when they're out there telling themselves their star to the airport right well, no, this isn't even the bus. They, there is like buses that go, whatever. You can take the flyaway bus from Union Station, which is fine. Yeah. But if you also have to sit in traffic. I'm talking about like the LA Metro system subways because everyone doesn't know this. LA has a subway system. I didn't know that. And and the problem is it goes nowhere. It goes nowhere <laughs> you're going. Like there, there one, one event, like I, I think it opened up like a couple years ago that finally went to the beach. And it's like, and it, was beca- it was because they have too many wealthy LA residents in too many parts of LA. There's like, would never, they're, they're the NIMBY people who are like, we, mm-hmm. want, we don't want people coming to our neighborhood. Are you kidding me? <laughs> the next door app is lighting up. It's like, they're coming again. They're off. They're, they're coming that in. Damn subway. Of them. Um, <laughs> so like, even the one that goes to the beach is like on a trolley system and has to fight traffic and stuff. They're barely building one to the airport. Mm. Uh, and it's just like have it go places and build more of them and have people use them like do something to incentivize it because like i rode one the other day when like my wife was using our car and and like it was going right to where i for the first time ever it was going right to where i was going to be performing like something in this club in downtown (laughs) or a room in downtown la and like it was maybe at 7 p.m and it had the same kind of like drugged out zombies that you would find at like 3 3 a.m at the new york subway system like the the new york subway system <laughs> has its problems for sure but like it's a functioning subway system yeah it gets to like 3 a.m then you're like waiting 25 minutes for a train next to a meth head 
uh, or someone who's like, you know, poop their pants. And that's what LA's metro system is 24 hours a day. I don't even know if it goes 24 hours. That's how bad it is. Like it should, like it's a giant, it's the second biggest city in America. It should have a subway system that works Mm. and it doesn't. LA, always trying to be New York. Uh, Last (laughs) question here on Shed Talk, feud edition. John Ozele is finally brought to justice for his crimes and sentenced to death because mm. it's fucking America. Uh, mm. The warden hires celebrity chef Guy Fieri to serve you your last meal of feud. <laughs> Get it? Uh, your last meal of feud. Yeah. Uh, what do you request? <laughs> as much as like, I, I mean, my wife's vegetarian and I've like not gone full vegetarian. I do mostly vegetables but whenever i'm like somewhere special and and on the road i get ribs Mm. like i go i go ham on ribs Uh, (laughs) so i would probably get a mixed plate of beef ribs which is which are rare and and good when they're done perfectly uh and and this guy fieri we're talking about Mm -hmm. yeah so everything's gonna be sprinkled Zazzled with something, and yeah, it'll have it'll have a uh, dry rub that's the wettest you've ever seen. Um, and <laughs> frosted and ble- tips, <laughs> and frosted tips, and douchebaggery all Absolutely. around. Yeah, yeah. yes, it's, he'll he'll take us to flavor town. You're gonna hate this. <laughs> yeah, he would tell you that it's Fietti. Oh, there you go. All apologies to our guy Fietti fan listeners. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I bet he could he could get some ribs done i'm sure he could smoke some ribs with those tips you know there, i mean yeah, he'll, he'll does, Calif- flavor tone. does california does california have the death penalty i don't think so not anymore took it away they used so, to i mean if you were getting executed it'd be somewhere hmm, probably not great you know i mean thinking certain states just still got it i mean guy fietti in a i mean picture like the green mile with like the electric chair and guy Fieri walking <laughs> up like bada bing got it for you kid i don't know <laughs> i just i don't know I, I i don't i'm not saying i want to see you die john is what i'm saying just i wanted to know what you wanted to eat as your last meal and it's ribs that is ched talk here on the real wolf record club i think this is like number 12 in a row john ozelay uh has won ched talk we're going to take a very quick break here on the real wolf record club and we'll come back and talk about Oasis, what's the story? Morning Glory with our good friend John Ozelay here on the Real Wolf Record Club. Welcome back to the Real Wolf Record Club. We are here with our good friend John Ozelay, a very funny comedian and comedy writer who is uh telling us all kinds of things uh about the world but one of the things we're going to talk about with him is the 90s classic i mean i call it a brit pop classic because that's what the internet called it uh but it's actually a classic album and if you if you don't know this record from the 90s you're 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 not only missing out but you probably don't know music as much as you think it's what's the story morning glory by oasis um, as we talked about, this album was a humongous hit. The singles off it alone. I mean, uh, you know, it's Champagne Supernova. Some might say Don't Look Back in Anger, Wonderwall. There's probably a couple others. But I mean, Wonderwall was just a monster of a song, just a monster of a song. So, you know, talking about this record, 
and thinking about it, you know, one of the things we we talk about, obviously, you know, favorite song, favorite moment, but, you know, Ben and I and the panel here have been talking for a long time. There's something about records made by people who just fucking hate each other. <laughs> <laughs> they just hate each other. It's, you know, we've talked about it in different ways, you know, pressure makes diamonds and, you know, all these things. Uh, and that's can be borne out a million different ways, but I'm just always so fascinated by Liam and Noel Gallagher and Noel was the, the, the guitarist and primary songwriter, but these guys hate each other. And Ben Oasis, they, they have a special spot in your all time concert history. They absolutely do. They're my first real live show band and they were a, a middle act. They weren't the opening act. They weren't the headliner opening act was space hog the headliner was the black crows and wow. oasis was jammed right in the middle and mm. it was one of the worst performances i'd ever seen Ooh. because it was the two of them standing as far as apart as they can they would have been very comfortable in a covid setting uh nah. standing as far apart from each other as they could having no interaction with the crowd whatsoever played their songs walked off stage that was it that's so funny. What year was that? Oh, I think it was 1999. Okay, yeah. so they're still in their heyday. That was like, yeah. I, w- I was reading about like the their feud today because I was like, you know, I was like, I know they hated each other, but like, why? And it's like, of course, it's nothing. It's just because they're fucking brothers and battles on drugs, um, and they're and they're British and Catholic and stuff. So there's all this like I was reading about like all their blowups and they're all happened like during tours and live shows. So, like there's a good chance if you saw them in 99, there was one of the shows that like one of them stormed off stage and left the band for a month. Yeah. <laughs> and I distinctly remember, I can't remember if it was Liam or Noel, but he had a towel around his neck and he just had a towel wrapped around his neck and he just kind of like held onto it. And yeah. just leaned into the microphone and sang into the microphone, and then they just walked off stage. It was like the weirdest thing. There was no like hype, like there was no flavor flavor in the background with like a clock necklace going nuts or anything. It was just like them out there. They sang, they did their thing, and they're like, "Pay that man his money," and then they left. Some people have a love for music. Some people have a love for hate. Uh, and- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I don't know. I mean, but and I, I will never get to the bottom of it. Maybe there's something in neuroscience (laughs) maybe there's something out there about it but it's something that the emotions you're plugging into those emotions so strongly that um you know maybe it's john ozalea and his older brother deciding who's going to run a better marathon or more marathons or faster marathons or maybe it's liam and noel gallagher deciding that somebody writing a song a certain way is it just pisses them off and irritates them so they're going to do a different thing and that's going to drive the other one harder and I don't know what it is, but but that album, and I don't know there's any particular blow up during the creation of this album. I know it was following a big album that had been released a year before, but uh, there's something about it where two people hate each other. And there's a lot of people that were involved in creating this album, so not to say there wasn't, but these two brothers are the most immediately identifiable parts of Oasis, and they hated each other. And yet they wrote an album that, you know, you could call a lot of albums from the nineties, but a defining album from that generation, a, a group of them has to include this record. Yeah. Um, so we talk about one of the ways we talk about it. Uh, we always like to pick out the highlights and give you listener. If you're listening and you haven't heard this record, number one, um, cool. You need to learn <laughs> some music. Uh, number two, 
this is going to help you. This is going to help you figure out some good music to pick out off of it. So let's start with what we always start with, which is our favorite song off of What's the Story, Morning Glory by Oasis. John, oh, you've got you've got the floor. You're our guest. What is your favorite song off this album and why? Um, my favorite song is Champagne Supernova. It um, is like Wonderwall was probably the, the biggest hit from it, of course, but I like I, I think it even got a little played out for me, even though I would like, I used to fall asleep listening to this album. Like I would put on in that era where you have the, the, the disc man or whatever, I would. <laughs> Anti-skip uh, protection, two seconds. You know it. <laughs> uh, bass boost, get out of yeah. here. Um, <laughs> so I would like put on um, headphones and put on this out. This one or Smashing Pumpkins, I would fall asleep yeah. to. Um, and like my mom hated it. She's like, you're going to choke yourself to death whatever, listening to this thing. But I was like so dedicated to listening to this, this album over and over again <laughs> that I would fall asleep listening to it. But I feel like Champagne Supernova, it's got a little more like sort of surreal psychedelic feel to it. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it builds well too. Like it starts really chill and whatever and builds. Yeah. Also it opens the song. I think this is probably just from the previous track, which is, I, I, I re-listened to it today. It was like track before was like called Swamp Song and had like some, mm -hmm. some like sloshing water noises, but I'm like from San Diego, big beach culture. So like the fact that it had like wave sounds to open the song always resonated with me. Whereas mm -hmm. like it was, nostalgic in a way that i really liked in the in that uh, paired with the electronic because when i was like of that era maybe a little bit afterward it was when like jack johnson and that sort of like we're gonna play an acoustic guitar around a bonfire sound came on that i hated yeah and i really prefer the electric sound that that's what really did it for me yeah you know, it's funny. Science. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's what's funny you say that about uh, you know the the headphones and choking yourself uh, for longer than I'd care to admit. I would sleep with the headphones behind my head because the mm. theory was you're not going to choke. I mean, like, what did our parents think? Like they're going to come in in the morning and there's going to be the coroner and be like, "That's right, detective. Just another one of those kids strangling themselves to death <laughs> with oh, their." Man shitty non-bose headphones at <laughs> least i just but i did it i mean i'm the same exact thing and, and these are the albums that you would fall asleep to and there's a lot of them you hit on a couple of them you know smashing pumpkins just about anything from the 90s oasis um just about anything from the 90s i will piggyback on that and say my favorite track was pretty hands hands free no i was gonna say hands free uh, hands down skip free down. skip free skip free and mm. skip protection okay. Pretty hands down, head and fate, head and shoulders favorite was Champagne Supernova. Um, in be, in particular, because you know, there's part of my brain that hears a song like Wonderwall, and I remember where I was when I first heard it, and I remember hearing this and be like, This is awesome, and then it was everywhere forever. And my contrarian brain was like, Fuck that song, too popular. And then a few, it was a few singles later when Champagne Supernova came out that I remember thinking, All right, this is the depth. This is the the depth on this album that is so powerful. And I will, we do this sometimes here in the Real Wolf Record Club, I will go ahead and flag a bold claim that the last three or four minutes of this song is some of the best guitar work in all of the 90s. Holy cow. It oh, is. That's a hot take. It's a hot take. It For is, sure. It is bluesy. <laughs> it is, as you said, Jono, it is psychedelic. It is, I mean, it is just awesome. And that's why when Ben said he saw them, I'm always thinking it must have been worth 
the price of admission alone to see this song, assuming they played it. But I'm guessing with your luck, Ben, they probably didn't. <laughs> they they did. It was it was good. I mean, it was mm. good as a, in the in the same way that when you listen to it on your five second skip protection disc man, it was good. Because mm. there wasn't anything Jeez. extra. There wasn't anything yeah. extra. It was just like they played the music. Yeah. And you were just hearing it louder. Mm. Ben, what was your favorite song on this album? Uh, I can I can totally get behind you guys with Champagne Supernova, and it was hard not to pick that as my favorite song, but it didn't. Ooh. And I did go with Wonderwall. Ooh. Wow. And I'm I'm putting that as my favorite. I know it's played out. It, you hear it everywhere. But that was where I started with Oasis. Yeah. That, that brought me in. So I felt like that needed some a, a little tip of the hat to that, like, Thank you for introducing me to this album because I heard this song. Yeah. The guitar intro, so great. And I also had a brief learn to play guitar and grow up my hair stage freshman year of college. Largely oh, thanks to my RA that is uh, in so the dormitories good. who was who was part of a actually a <laughs> jazz hip-hop fusion band called G8. Uh, oh my God, is that is so good. Fantastic. For so it's many fantastic. Reasons. You should check it out. Uh, it it's still the, I, the treaty with between the, still hawking them. I have them. no idea. That's how I still have no idea. But I, they, they, it was a flash of like a college band that I saw play at like a college theater for their album release, and I don't think it went anywhere after that. You but you can find it band. on on uh, Apple Music, Spotify. Wow, they're, it's great. They're my rival band uh, to my band, which is Model UN. <laughs> 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 yes, yeah, so the, the United Nations themes band are always something near and dear to me, but also Oasis. And so <laughs> during that learn to play guitar and grow out my hair phase in, in uh, freshman year of college, this was the song that I like dedicated my time to. Like I wanted to learn how to play the introduction at least to Wonderwall because it's not very challenging. And I, I, I wouldn't say that I mastered it, but I... <laughs> Learn to play it to a level that it was recognizable. And it, to me, hey, that's, that's, that's like better than finishing a marathon. Good this for is, you, man. I mean, that's, that's, that's beautiful. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> it's I, I never learned an instrument. Amazing. The only instrument I ever practiced was piano for a couple of years when I was eight and 10. And we, I stopped playing because they made, it, they made me practice a duet with my brother. And I ended up <laughs> face. Oh. My piano career was ended early because I did a little bit of, uh, I put a little fist in that B sharp, and uh, <sighs> you. Like, All right, I guess no more piano then. You and your brother are Liam and Noel, Noel Gallagher. Oh <laughs> yeah. my God! You stormed off the stage. You said, yeah. "I'm not working with that." Yeah, quit the band. Quit the band. Um, God, Ben, you, 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 learning to play. Wonderwall, just the opening is exactly my experience with this album. I heard that song and I thought, if this is all they got, I'm out. It's too poppy. And then I said, I do love that song, but then they had something else. And so I can picture you sitting around with your cool jazz fusion rapper RA, which sounds awesome. And Ben plays the intro and people are like, what else you got? And Ben's like, I had nothing. Free falling. Free falling. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love it. The first, I love it. 
the first few notes to Miss You by the Rolling Stones. Ooh. <laughs> that's, that's a deep cut. I like that. Um, well, I mean, it's, you know, that, that goes to our second topic. We always go to our second topic because it's not always the favorite song. Ben's talking about what I maybe is his favorite moment. His favorite moment on the album is the whatever chords strums i don't know i'm not a musician uh the opening to oasis wonderwall that he says he wanted to learn just for himself but i was in college once too i know why you were trying to learn that (laughs) what is your favorite moment on the record because for me i've already said it and it hasn't changed it's it's the ending guitar solo that heavy bluesy swampy just full distortion of champagne supernova that guitar solo at the end it's so good ben your favorite moment on the record well i'm going to the beach with jono and i'm going right to 0.00 of champagne supernova those waves crashing to kind of start the the track off yeah it's it's really distinct on the album like you have this very like 90s indie rock bordering on pop album and i also noticed like over the course of listening to this album how like masterful they are in creating choruses i think that's the right way to describe it yeah but like like very like catchy hooky choruses but it still has this very like indie rock vibe but you're going through this whole album and and you're you're feeling somewhat samey through it not not entirely but it has a very like vibe like very 90s rock vibe like it's Mm -hmm. it's the it's basically the soundtrack to that nineties show, which is actually a, a good watch on. I think it might still be on Netflix. It's like a spinoff of that 70s. We show don't get paid to plug show. that 70s show. <laughs> Jesus. That 90s show. That 90s anyway. show. If you're, if you're listening, no, but they have, they, they feature this album a lot on it, but then all of a sudden you're transported to the last track, track 12, and you're just about to fall asleep with your disc man tangled around your neck and you hear those waves and it kind of does, puts you into a different spot in the album. And I, I liked that experience of like, whoa, this is way different. And then yeah. it's seven minutes and 31 seconds of just fabulous music. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was hard for me, like I said before, it's hard for me not to pick that as my favorite, but um, definitely a good moment, a good song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that opening, and it's kind of got that almost hopeful little, like everything's kind of kicking in. And then that hook you know how many special people that starts in and it's like something's happening here uh Jono, your favorite moment on the record you have to pick one. um yeah so i um i remember this moment like would always you know those like guitar riffs that like give you like you make your hair hair stand up a little bit like those like chicken uh fruition <laughs> yeah we talk about this a lot on this podcast all like, the it's, time it's experience <laughs> That apparently only about 50 percent of people get is oh. like the ch- that that chills from music. Yeah, but, it's like, interesting in my household. It's 50 50 So it's like <laughs> interesting. Yeah, I, and for me that is the opening guitar riff from Some Might Say. Ooh. So it like it starts off pretty basic, but then there's a few chords in that it just really elevates, and it's yeah. just like, ooh, didn't see that coming. And then you're like. The song isn't my favorite, but like it's still a good song. Yeah, um, and it has like a, a strong guitar presence. But that opening riff has just always gotten me. And that brings us to our favorite segment here. I'll I'll call it the favorite. Uh, our favorite segment here on the Real Wolf Record Club, which is put it on a playlist. Ben, 
put it on a playlist. Joe, I'm going to definitely put it on a playlist here eventually. And uh, I'm going to give you a little bit of cutting room floor. And I'm going to give an aside out of that cutting room floor because I absolutely have to. They all feel like cutting room floor, though. <laughs> they all should be on the cutting room floor, Joe. But I thought first I was going to I was gonna do a playlist that was Can't We All Just Get Along. And I was going to pick on that, that feud vibe. And I was going to look for a song that had kind of an upbeat theme to it on the album. And I was going to flip it, right? And I was going to say, hey, there, there's a song in there that we can get behind. On what's the story morning glory that has some positivity to it and then i can make a playlist that's more of like positive not feuding doesn't exist <laughs> i listed all the songs with like a, a very close ear of like okay like i gotta find one that has like a positive message or like a really you know good feelings for it and it's not it's all about like mm. being pissed or being on drugs or something yeah so then i got down the feud rabbit hole right i was gonna do a feud feud one and i got into the, i have to share this feud I have to share it. And it's a feud that I didn't know existed. I am so glad that I found it. But apparently Prince and Michael Jackson were a feud. I believe it. <laughs> I didn't I didn't experience it in the moment, obviously. I read it after the fact. And as expected from the two of them, they're kind of like the most iconic and strangest figures in the history of music. They had a very bizarre feud. So they both were kind of a jealous of each other's success, and they were really competitive to be the best. It sounds like the Zelay family, and <laughs> came from different paths to, you know, like produce this really great music. Like Prince is this prolific like creator and uh, instrumentalist, etc. Whereas Michael Jackson was more of like a very heavily produced, but like performer. had this very polished yeah. package, and he's a performer. So. Uh, you know, starts off. Michael Jackson describes Prince as one of the rudest people he's ever met. <laughs> but there's right. some pretty crazy interactions between the two of them. So James Brown and Michael Jackson are are performing, and Michael Jackson comes on stage and does his performance thing. He's moonwalks and sings, and then he's like, "Hey, let's get Prince up here because Prince is out in the in the crowd." So Prince just gets up, shreds on the guitar, rips his shirt off, but eventually. He collapses this lamppost into the crowd. And it's kind of like this big fail, and it's kind of embarrassing. So after Prince is leaving this concert, allegedly kind of tries to hit Michael Jackson with his limo and run him down. So this is like starts what? the feud. This is all on the internet, so it has to be true, right? Wow. But it was actually published in a, in a magazine. And so Quincy Jones is a longtime producer for Michael Jackson, and he tries to connect michael jackson and prince you know two iconic pop figures on a song it's like that's like printing money right so he tries to get them together on bad and prince says he declines because the first lyrics of bad are like his butt is mine and prince is like that is not going to be me like my butt is not his Ooh. <laughs> so it then turns into like them trying to force this together like so he, Quincy Jones is trying to bring them together so they're doing second rehearsals for bad and so Prince brings a white box that says Camille on it because apparently Camille was his nickname for Michael Jackson and he has it filled with a bunch of strange things <laughs> I am <I'm>, uh, <laughs> strange things like cufflinks with Tootsie Rolls on them so Michael Jackson thinks that this is some kind of voodoo 
And then the prince has like hexed him. <laughs> so this leads to my absolute favorite part of the feud in which I'm going to just take a quote that I directly found from this article. We can post this on social media with this article that I, that I took a lot of this stuff from. But it's it's at a it's at a Prince concert that Michael Jackson is attending, and the quote is from um, uh, what's it Will I Am, who was like a, tra a traveling member of this band. He says, "There's this point during the show where Prince was playing the bass, and he came out into the audience with this giant bass. He knew where Michael was sitting, and he walked up right to Michael." And started playing bass in Michael's face like aggressive slap bass. <laughs> so Prince walks wow. out of the crowd, singles out Michael Jackson, and just starts slapping the bass right in his face. Mm. So that was <laughs> that is your travels down the rabbit hole with Ben in his <laughs> ultimate feud. I'm coming back. I'm coming back to it. I thought, well. We've got Champagne Supernova. We've got John Ozelay, neuroscientist. Let's go kind of science theme and do soundtrack for the James Webb Space Telescope. Mm. So, so songs within a kind of a space event theme. But I thought, well, people might think I'm a nerd. <laughs> He's a neuroscientist, not an astrophysicist. That's Don't you know your science? It's all sciences. <laughs> like... But what I ended up with is a playlist called your morning alarm clock so these are songs to set as your phone alarm get up out of that bed and seize the carp so the first one is morning glory by oasis need a little time to wake up wake up so that's one you're going to set as your alarm when you get tired of that you're going to go with everything in its right place by radiohead this is a song featured in vanilla sky i seem to remember in my brain that it was playing on an alarm clock and Tom Cruise shut it off. Mm. Regardless if that's true or not, it is my actual ringtone for my alarm in the morning. Uh, we we got to put I Got You Babe by Sonny and Cher on here for all the Groundhog Day and Bill Murray fans. I don't think he's been canceled yet. He was on the verge of being canceled, but I still love Bill Murray, so I hope he's not. Then we got to go with uh, Kanye West, Good Morning. Because hashtag start the day with Kanye. And then finally, just as a preview again of this playlist, we're going to do James Brown. Get up off of that thing. Because who doesn't want to be woken up to a James Brown howl? And then him demanding that you get out of bed. And with that, I'm going to ask both of you, Jono and Joe, what type of wake up person are you? What type of morning person are you? Are you somebody that is like me and just literally jumps out of bed and is like, ready to seize the carp or is this something that takes a little bit more time because i need to put something special for you on the album maybe something that gets you out of bed a little bit more gently mm. man i am do not get out of bed i i refuse it basically my dog has to wake me up uh, every day. <laughs> physical jostling he's like licking his paw on my like back or something like that and he, he he'll do it but yeah i i do you need a like a sort of gentle wake me up until I can like cognitively be aware and then like keep me up and not like get the scream me out of bed necessarily? Um, there, you know what I used to wake up to was, um, which is a really nice build up song, um, is Alphabet Aerobics by Black Alicious. Mm -hmm. um, yes, excellent. Some ABCs. Mm. 
Um, and it just like the, the tempo just keeps getting faster and faster and faster, um, which is a good way to like kind of start the day in that way, I guess. But not, nothing mm. too, doesn't like come out the gate with like a get the like, just the, <laughs> I, um, I will tell you this, that I can be a morning person when I need to be, but I don't like to be. I am a, I am a, my parenting goes out the window type morning parent because when my daughter comes down, she will ask two things in a row. Number one, watch kitties on your phone, which means look up Imgur cat videos or watch Maisie on TV. And if it means she will sit still while I can lay quietly in bed for another half hour, do whatever you want. I don't care. Go for it. Screen time. Yeah. Have it all day. I don't care. Uh, So, yeah, I'm I'm with you. I I don't know that a song would get me out of a bed, but it might be a cat video or it might be something uh some children's TV. Uh I think that has been put it on a playlist another weird wild trip with Ben and the cutting room floor and the playlist you can uh check out all of the playlists. We've got them on Spotify and wherever you get your playlists. Go to realwolfrecordclub.com. You can find them listed there. You can also find links to buy merch. You can also find links to all of our guests, all of our episodes. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Real Wolf RC, uh, Instagram at Real Wolf Record Club, and again, RealWolfRecordClub.com. We're going to take a very quick break and come back and finish up our discussion of what's the story, Morning Glory with John Ozelay here on the Real Wolf Record Club. This is John Ozelay. You're listening to the Real Wolf Record Podcast, the only podcast with real wolves for sale at Dot Recipes. back to the real wolf record club home stretch home stretch here of the episode with our good friend john zale very funny comedian and comedy writer we are talking about oasis's what's the story morning glory we have given you some favorite songs we've talked about our favorite moments we've talked about uh you know hate isn't all bad hate can bring beauty into this world and in this case the gallagher brothers i wouldn't call it hate but a definite definite sibling rivalry has brought us one of the great records of the 1990s and of course you know y'all know me i like music i like lots of things it's hard for me not to like something uh but we give it our own special spin here we're all record collectors and if you're a record collector you know there's some records that you uh just love so much you're gonna wear it out it's called bury it, borrow it, buy it, or buy it again. Uh, some records are so bad you bury it, you don't want to touch it. Don't bring it into my house. Uh, some of it is borrow it. Eh, it's good enough. You might bring it over to your friend Ben's house and uh, share it, but you're going to take it home with you. You're not going to keep it. Uh, then it's buy it. You must own it. Some are just so good. You're going to play on that vinyl, play on that wax, wear it out that you need two copies. I've got lots. I've got lots. Uh, but... Jono, I'm going to give you the ranking. Bury it, borrow it, buy it, or buy it again. Well, I I mean, obviously, I played it out so much in the 90s that I almost choked myself to death overnight <laughs> in Dreamland. In that champagne, I was almost in that champagne supernova in the sky, thanks to this, oh. this album. 
Um, like you did there. <laughs> so I, and I would have to, since I've already bought it once before, I would have to buy it again with a four out of four, but with a caveat that just given the ongoing rivalry with the Gallagher brothers, you might want to borrow it just so they don't have to deal with any fights over royalties. <laughs> like, I don't know if you want to like add, like it's on you at this point, if you're giving them one more thing to fight over in the year yes. 2022. Yes, that is a fair point. So uh, that would be a, borrow it, buy it again. That's the first time we've had that. Mm. I like it. It makes sense. You're protecting your property. Um, ben, what do you got for this record? Oasis, what's the story? Morning Glory. Well, I'm, I'm going to kind of do an off the off the rails ranking here a little bit. And I'm going to say- Off the rails it. with you is so out of character. <laughs> Very out of character. Yes, I, I agree. But I'm going to buy it and broadcast it. And I'm going to explain what this is. I'm, I'm going to buy it so I have it. And I'm going to play it for others so that they get to experience and they get to kind of roll and savor that that 90s flavor, mm. take them to that 90s flavor town uh, with Guy Fieri uh, as, as, our, as our master chef. But uh, I mean, the, the band and their story kind of really gives you this anyone can do it feeling. I was, I was kind of reading this article where one of the Gallagher's was saying like, we are not possible in this day and age. Like this would not happen because they, it's not, it, it, and when I say that anyone can do it, it's not that they don't, they didn't produce something that was artistic and good or low. They didn't make anything that was low quality or they're not talented. It's just that they were like from a simple working class town. They had no music business connections yet. Somehow they just kind of hustled and played music and then it just became big like mm -hmm. very big as Joe said at the beginning of the, uh, of the show here. But, you know, you look at it, the lyrics are great. It's, it's somehow kind of like open interpretation and has like personal meaning yet. It's still pretty accessible as far as like the lyrics go, you can kind of get behind some of the stuff and, you know, it's, it's very much like a pain and loss and like kind of weirdness vibe to the album. But Maybe this is another one of those good breakup albums. We we talked about you know breakup albums, but yeah, I, I just thought it was a, is you know listening to it all the way through a few times. I found myself thinking like I, I can't think of a song that I, I don't like or that I want to mm. take off. Even like the transitions, the Swamp Song, like Swamp Song version one had like a very good ZZ Top vibe to me. Like, and the the last one was just kind of this teaser to the the waves and the moodiness of champagne supernova so even those i'm like god they even nailed it on like the skits and like the transition like it's a it's a phenomenal album mm. so you rank buy it, it broadcast as, it buy it and broadcast, buy it, and broadcast it. it yeah i by the way you you called it skits i would absolutely love to have Liam and Noel do a skit <laughs> on their record <laughs> much in the tradition of a rap mixtape that would be excellent uh, this is going to be one of those weird ones because I am a bit of a audiophile. I love music. I love to talk about music in the way that I love to talk about food. I want to talk about the things I love. I want to talk about the things I like. I don't want to waste time on things I don't. Um, I definitely like this album. In fact, I bought this album in preparation. I listened to it plenty and I went and bought it in vinyl because I'm like, this is an album I'm going to need to own. I, I know a lot of it already, but really digging into it, um, I went and bought it. That said, it's probably a buy it for me. Like literally it's a buy it for me. I went and bought it. Um, but for <laughs> me, I find myself gravitating to those peaks 
you know, some might say Champagne Supernova, Wonderwall, um, Don't Look Back in Anger. Those are a lot of the songs. Um, Hannah's favorite songs on this record were, you know, among those as well. But she also, she found herself, I'm just doing a service here. She cast no shadow was a song that she loved. Morning glory was a song she loved, but it kind of, those are the things we played over and over again. So I think we will, we could get there. We could get to a buy it again, but for now the physical median has been purchased once. Um, that's three out of four, but either way, listener, if you, this is your first encountering with Oasis, buckle up, dig in. There's a lot to unpack. Uh, most of it is surly, uh, British brothers beating each other up and making great music. Um, what's the story morning glory. It's an album you need in your collection for sure. Whether you buy it for you or buy it for another or buy it several times over. It's a great record. Definitely check it out. John Ozelay, our good friend, uh, later this year, it sounds like you're going to be doing some tours, some shows. Where can people pick up midnight oil or, um, well, that's two oil references in both of yeah, the albums. Yeah. You I mean, can't, you can't the, there's a few Easter eggs on the album covers. I suggest you check them out. Uh, oh. See if you can find them. Uh, but yes, yeah, Snake Oil and Midnight Oil are available. I assume most places you can stream stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. Spotify has been having some issues with comedy albums. Like, so mm-hmm. I think at least my at least Midnight Oil was taken off. Um, I'm not sure if Snake Oil is still on there or not. Um, it is that, that okay. one's definitely on there too midnight oil was on there as well so oh okay nice yeah i mean it the lawyers are, are hashing it out right now as they are with the gallagher brothers and their issues <laughs> the lawyers the lawyers will sort it sort it out um so yeah i'm you can stream me anywhere but you can also go to uh i got i purchased two urls um to promote the album because you know like such and such.com is like all the good dot coms are taken and now you can have like dot whatever there's like dot golf and stuff mm-hmm. so i purchased two albums to promote this one and they are jokes.farm <laughs> makes sense um which is you know i'm yeah. surprised i got it how, how did i find it before everyone yeah. else uh and the second one is bible.recipes <laughs> got it so, so they check. click on that they'll get what they will go that'll go straight to my uh my the the record labels um website where you can like buy it from wherever you want basically it has your preferred streaming or purchasing uh you know outlet you can find it everywhere at bible.recipes and also the good old-fashioned the old i'm old school so john ozale j-o-n-o-z-a-l-a-y.com that's a good place to check you out john at john ozale on every social media app the one thing about having a unique name is I get all the handles to myself. I don't have to say verified like <laughs> the real or whatever 72. Yeah. Um, yeah Perfect. So. Well, l- listeners definitely check out John Ozale. Uh, he's a good friend of ours here. He's a very funny comedy comedian, comic comedy writer, and he knows good music because he talked to us today about what's the story morning glory by Oasis. Uh, check out John Owen, check us out. www.realwolfrecordclub.com on Instagram at real wolf record club on Twitter at real wolf RC. We got so many more great guests, great records to talk about on the real wolf record club. This is the real wolf record club. This has been the real wolf record club podcast. The Real Wolf Record Club is a production of Real Wolf Productions, LLC, a limited liability company. The show is produced today by Ben Head. Our panelists were Ryan McInnes, 
Hannah Van Tomey, and I'm your host, Joe Van Tomey. Follow us and join the club on Instagram at Real Wolf Record Club. On Twitter at Real Wolf RC. Go to our website to find links to the episodes, upcoming news and information, as well as a link to buy merch from our very own Ward Sutton at www.realwolfrecordclub.com. Join us next episode when we discuss The Emancipation of Mimi by Mariah Carey. Well,